I want to add one other thing during prayer time. You guys need to be praying for some more snow. Didn't you think that was beautiful? I know you're ready to tar and feather me. You know, when we lived up in Indiana, the average snowfall was 70 inches a year. Can you imagine that? And uh, when I saw that the other day, I thought, oh my gosh, that reminds me of all of the problems we had up there. And I I moved south hoping it wouldn't follow me, but it did. Uh, How many of you had uh, busted pipes? Oh, yeah. I saw this on uh, this cartoon on um, Facebook. It had a guy who looked like a drug dealer, all dressed up with gold chains, gold rings, gold watches. And the caption read, plumbers next week. (laughs) I would imagine they're going to be doing quite well in the next few weeks. But uh, I'm glad it's over. And I'm glad that everybody came through it okay. Um, Hopefully we've learned a lot going through it, things that we need to be prepared for uh, better next time. But um, we do need to be praying that uh, those that have suffered some loss through this, that uh, they can be taken care of and God would would take care of them. Um, The older I get, I find myself asking myself this question more and more. Has my life really counted for anything of eternal value? Now, I think that's a question probably that we all should be asking ourselves. You know, we look at our lives and we want to evaluate it. We want to, at least I do, want to know that, you know what, I spent my life doing something. I'd like to know that I accomplished something that's going to matter in eternity. And uh, as we do that, I think that each one of us would probably do well for doing it because it would force us to evaluate some things and maybe make some changes. We have to ask ourselves this question, what does a person have to do to make a difference, to make their life count? Now, I'm not saying that your life doesn't count. Don't don't read that into this because everybody's life counts as an important. What I'm saying is that as Christians, we have to be asking ourselves, does my life make a difference in eternity? Am I affecting anybody's life here on this earth that's going to bring them to heaven or in some way affect their lives that would make them a better person and draw them closer to the Lord? What am I doing for eternity is is what I'm asking. Um, We're all different. You know, when I ask the question, what do we have to do? I think sometimes we have a distorted view of that and distorted ideas on what it is. Everybody's different. We have different personalities, we have different gifts, we have different abilities, we even have different opportunities because you may be in a situation in life where you encounter people with different needs than me or or somebody else in the church. So everybody is different in that way, but we can all still make a difference. Now, the, the reason that this is important is because sometimes I think we get caught up in this mindset that in order for us to make a difference for in order for us to have a life that really matters for eternity and makes an eternal difference in, in somebody else's life, that we have to be a missionary or have to be a preacher or have to be like a Billy Graham or a um, D.L. Moody or somebody like that in order to really make a difference. But that is, that is not true. Whenever God evaluates our lives, he doesn't evaluate it by how much we accomplish. And, um, you know, we can look at Billy Graham and look at the thousands, if not millions, of people that he he affected their lives. And there'll be throngs of people in heaven because of his ministry. 
And sometimes I think we look at it that way, but that's not how God evaluates our lives by the number of people that we've uh, touched or by what we've accomplished. But I believe that God evaluates our lives by how faithful we were with the opportunities that he gave us. In other words, I don't have to have an effect on a lot of people. I don't have to have a great big ministry. I just need to be faithful to what it is that God has called me to do. This is true of all of us. So wherever God has placed you and whatever God has called you to do and ever how God has gifted you, then you be faithful at that. And then you have lived a life of eternal value, I'll call it, for no better a reason or explanation. Now, regardless of who you are, you have certain qualities. And those qualities need to be used in the service of the Lord. Now, these are, there are certain qualities, I believe, that we all need to possess. Now, let me explain this a little better. Because this, I'm trying to get something across, and I don't want it to be misunderstood. So let me back up and repeat what I said earlier. Your life matters. Your life is important. But our lives need to count for something that is going to make a difference in eternity. When I stand before God as somebody that has put their faith in Jesus Christ, I want to stand before God and I want to hear him say, you've done a good job. You have uh, done something that mattered for eternity. You have brought into heaven other people. You have uh, affected their lives and made it better. You have ministered. You've done this, that sort of thing. I don't want to get to heaven and say, you know what? You're a good person and uh, you kept your nose clean, lived a good life. But as far as eternal value, you didn't bring a lot with you. I don't want to get there and do that. I think all of us need the desire to have an impact, have an influence in the lives of other people. We don't always know how. But I do believe this. I don't, what I'm trying to get you to see is it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be something that makes a big splash. But I believe that no matter how big it is, no matter on what scale it may be, I believe that we all need to possess certain qualities in order to pull it off. In other words, there are certain things, certain characteristics in every person that lives life in that way. That's true of all of us that, that are able to do that. What I want you to see today are these qualities, these characteristics. And if we can employ those and if we can make them part of our lives and if we can become people like that, then we will affect the lives of other people. And we will live a life that counts. So this is what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be looking at the life of a very strange man. And a man that possessed certain characteristics, certain qualities that enabled him to live a life that mattered, a life that counted. And his life did, did uh, matter and it did count for eternity. But I want you to see these four qualities, these four characteristics that were evident in his life. And then understand that if I can put those into my life and make them part of my life, then I am more apt to live life differently and more apt to live a life that counts and matters in eternity. Now, the man that we're going to be talking about today is John the Baptist. And let me tell you right up front, this is one strange character. And if you know anything about John the Baptist, you know that. Yet, 
Jesus said something about John the Baptist that was strange. Let me read it for you. So Matthew chapter 11, verse 11 says this. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Of everybody born, there has not up until that point been anybody that is greater than John the Baptist. Now let's think about that, because who all had been born or lived up until that point? People like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, David, Moses, Abraham. What? How can he say that? How can he say that John the Baptist's life was lived in such a way that there has never been anybody as great as John the Baptist. 18 month, or an 18-month to two-year ministry, that's about what he had. Two years that he ministered. It certainly isn't about the time that he spent, and it's not about the size of his ministry. Because we don't know for sure how many lives he affected, but it wasn't a huge ministry. So what is he referring to when he says that John the Baptist is great or greater than anybody else? Why? What makes him so unique and what makes him so different? Well, I think, and and here again, this is an opinion, okay? Because theologians have argued or debated or tried to figure this out for years. What is this talking about? But I believe it refers to this. It refers to his faithfulness to the task that God gave him. In other words, John the Baptist was faithful to the task that God gave him in such a way that Jesus, when describing him, responded about him this way. There hadn't been anybody greater than him. And that speaks volumes. But yet I believe that it was because God gave him a task to do and he was faithful in doing it. Now, the second part of that. He says this. He says, but yet whoever is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What does that mean? Well, again, it's just an opinion. Here's what I think. I think that it's looking at the one that is probably the least valued or least appreciated or the least qualified or gifted person in the kingdom of God, speaking of Christians. And he's saying that you have a task, and as you fulfill that task faithfully, you will be graded, I'll say that, graded in such a way that you will be greater than even John the Baptist in the eyes of God. Wow. That, so here I sit, and here you sit, and we aren't going to do anything on the level that John the Baptist did or any of these other uh, patriarchs in the Bible, things like that. And yet Jesus says, look, if you're faithful to the task, and uh, I keep wanting to say in fact, affect the lives of people around you, then you're going to do a greater job and be, in my eyes, greater than John the Baptist was. Well, you know what? I'm not being selfish, but I want that. And you should too. I want to be judged that way. I want him to to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You did a great job. You did a great job at the time that you had there on this earth. Now, what exactly was the job of John the Baptist? Because I think that's important that you understand this. 
His job was this. It was a very unique assignment that he was given. It was simply this, to prepare the people for Jesus' ministry, to prepare the people of Israel for the ministry of Jesus that was going to be beginning soon. So he came and he told them that they're sinners. He pointed out sin so that they would understand it because the Pharisees had confused them to such a point they didn't know what sin was. There were righteous people that thought they were sinners, sinners that thought they were righteous people. Nobody knew what the truth was. And he comes along and he tells them, this is sin, this is sin, and you're a sinner. The Bible says that he preached the, the message of repentance. People were being convicted. They were being convinced that they needed something to fix the problem that they were experiencing. And this is where it's kind of set it up or set the stage for the Messiah. And he would say to them these things. He would say, listen, he's coming. He's right here among you right now. The Lamb of God is here. And he's going to take away your sin. He's going to forgive you and heal you and so forth. And you need to know that. And because when he comes, I want you to be ready and I want you to be listening and I want you to be watching so that when he comes, you're ready. And that was basically it. That was his assignment. What were the characteristics or qualities about John the Baptist that enabled him to do the assignment? Because then I want to transfer that to my life and to your life. And when I do that, then it doesn't matter what my assignment is. It doesn't matter where I'm involved. If I have these qualities in my life, then I will be successful in living a life that counts. So this is what I want to do now for the next few minutes is I want to look at these four characteristics that made him successful. Four qualities about him that I believe that you and I can possess. And if we do, then I believe we're more apt to be faithful and live a life that counts. Here they are. Let's get through. Let's go through them. Number one is this. He didn't quit because it was hard. He didn't quit because it was hard. Now look at this in, in John chapter 1 verse 20. It says that he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. Don't read past that and not look at that or see that, okay? He says he did not fail. He was always confessing, always speaking up, always preaching and teaching and doing what he was told to do. And let me tell you something. He did it under very trying and hard and difficult circumstances. He never stopped and he never backed down. One day Herod the king and his wife, that were, was an adulterous relationship, it was actually his brother's wife, and they come and John the Baptist points out, he said, you're living in an adulterous relationship. He said, you're living in sin. And it made her so angry that later on that's what led to the beheading of John the Baptist. But he wasn't going to back down. He wasn't going to back down from doing what God had told him to do. The Jews came all the time and harassing him. Who are you? What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Who do you think you are? And yet he kept answering them. He kept testifying. And he kept doing what God told him to do. He never backed down. Regardless of how hard it became, he never quit. He never, ever gave up. Now let's look at ourselves and ask ourselves this. How quickly do we give up? You know, sometimes we get involved in things and we're, we're doing something, we're serving the Lord, we're faithful at ministry, and all of a sudden it becomes inconvenient to do it anymore. It's just tiring. It's just inconvenient. I don't want to be bothered with it. So we give up. Sometimes we do things and it's uh, unappreciated. People don't thank us. People don't think, are, 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 
acknowledge us and we think, well, we're being taken advantage of. So it's easier for me just to stop, just to give up and not do it anymore. And you don't understand that what you're doing is in service, in faithful service to the Lord that sent you to do this. And that's all that matters. But you see, we give up. We give up when things get hard or difficult, when people talk about us behind our back, when people make fun of us or we lose friends or whatever. We just we give up. And after we give up, give up we are, we're content with settling for a life of mediocrity. We'll just exist. And my goodness, people, I see so many Christians just existing. Just get through, just get by. And i got to remind you, and, I, and all of us need to be reminded of this, that you know what, ministry, when I say ministry, I'm talking about dealing with people. It's hard, but yet it's rewarding. And it's always people. You know, we've talked about this a week or so ago. It's always people. That's the ministry. And when I live a life or you live a life that counts for eternity, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about affecting the lives of people. And sometimes we just, we give up. Too many other things to capture our attention. Too many other things to get in the way. And we just get tired of doing it. Here's the second thing that I want you to see, and that's this. Talking about John the Baptist, he knew what his job was, and he did it well. He knew what his job was. There was no mistaking it. John the Baptist knew exactly what God sent him to do. He wasn't doing anything else. John the Baptist didn't do miracles. He didn't feed the hungry. He didn't build churches. He wasn't one of the disciples, and he didn't write one word of Scripture. He did none of these things because that wasn't his job. John the Baptist knew what his job was, and he came and he did it, and he did it well. Now listen as I read through some of this scripture here in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, verse 23, it says, John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. See, this was in response to the Jews asking him, okay, what are you doing? What's your job here? And who told you to do this? He said, here it is right here. He said, you know, back in that passage in Isaiah, when it says something about one crying out in the wilderness, that's me. And he said, this is what I'm doing. This is my job. I'm in the wilderness and I'm crying out that you make straight the way of the Lord. He's coming. And so that's what I do day in and day out for two years or whatever length of time he did it. That's what I do. In verses 24 through 27, listen to what it says here. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. What is he doing? He's doing his job. You come at me asking me why I'm here, I'll tell you why I'm here. He said, I'm telling you that the Messiah is already here. He said, and I'm telling you that he is going to be here and you're going to see him soon. And you better be ready. And part of getting ready is to convince you that you're lost and need him. And that's what he did. That was his ministry, to convince people that they're lost. Because when Jesus came and began to heal and teach and preach grace and love, those people grabbed it. They were ready. 
And this was his ministry. And he did it well, and he knew what his job was. Now, guys, let me ask you this. What is your ministry assignment? What is it that God has called you to do? Where are you going to do it? Who are you doing it with? See, these are things that you and I need to work out. We need to be thinking about. We need to come to the conclusion that, you know what? If I'm going to live this life that counts, that matters for eternity, then I need to know where it is that God wants me to be ministering and with whom. Now, we've talked at length about this um, acrostic that we use called SHAPE. S-H-A-P-E. First one is your spiritual gift. You know, you need to be making some effort to find out what your spiritual gift is. Now, I'm not real, I'm not real big on pushing spiritual gifts because, honestly, it's like Quicksilver trying to figure it out because most people are, they'll have several of them probably. It's hard to figure it out. But you know in general terms what you're gifted at. You say, well, I'm gifted at helps, helping people. That's a spiritual gift. I'm gifted at teaching, you say. Fine. You know at least a general area where you're needed or where God has gifted you to be. The H stands for your heart. What's your passion? You see, you're not going to be called to minister where you're not passionate about that. So what is your passion? You know, what, what really rocks your world and gets you excited? What gets you excited about ministry? Say, well, I'm, I'm excited. I have a heart for children. Well, that's good. Others say, I have a heart for youth because I went through so many problems and I want to minister with youth. That's my, my heart, but I, I just don't know how. But at least you're heading in the direction. You know your, your passion. Some of you want to work in the jail ministry and are doing that faithfully. Others are with addicts and so forth. Uh, a lot of other things going on. All right, there's your heart. What are your abilities? That's the A. What's your ability? I've noticed that when it comes to ministry that it's not always spiritual gifts, but more spiritual abilities that God uses. I'm, a, I'm great at plumbing. Good. There's a lot of work for you. A lot of opportunities to minister to people that need it. I'm good at this or I'm good at that. Great. Minister. Affect lives. The P stands for your personality. You say, well, Pastor, I'm pretty introverted. Well, that's okay. That's the way God made you. That's all right. But there's places for introverts. There's places for extroverts. There's places for whatever kind of personality you are. The E stands for experiences. What are your experiences? Man, some of you have gone through horrific experiences in life. Things that would cause somebody else to crumble. And you look at those events and you think to yourself, man, what wasted, horrible years of my life. And God says, no, that's gold to me. Because I can take your experiences and I can give you the opportunity to minister in the life of another person. So what are those things? What's your shape? What makes you feel like you count for eternity? What is it that when you're doing it, or even just thinking about it, you get excited. What is it? Then do that. Do that. And do it well. See, this is what John the Baptist did. One thing. 
I'm going to do it faithfully and I'm going to do it well. And every one of us need to take that attitude. That whatever I feel that God is leading me to do here as a way of ministering to other people, then I'm going to do it well. I'm going to be focused on that and I'm okay with that. That's what God wants. Here's the third one. And that is that John the Baptist always shined the light on Jesus and not himself. He was always shining the light on Jesus and not himself. Now, this is an important one. In John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34, he says, it says here that the next, uh, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I, might, I myself did not know him, but the reason I came preaching, with uh, baptizing with water, was that he might be revealed to Israel. In other words, okay, here he is. Here he is. This is the one I'm telling you about. This is the one I've been baptizing you and telling you he's the one that's coming. This is the one that I didn't know myself until I was told who he was and what he would be like and what he would look like. Then it says in verse 32, Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. What was John doing? You know, the Pharisees, they would come to him and they say, Are you the Christ? Are you that great prophet that was told in the Old Testament? Are you him? He would say, No, that's not me. I'm not the one. But I'll tell you who he is. Right there he is. When Jesus came that day to be baptized, there he is, he said. Later on, when John was taken and put in jail and was soon to be beheaded, he sent his disciples, his helpers, his followers. He said, go find out if I've made a mistake. Because he was hearing things that he didn't understand. And Jesus told his disciples, you go back and tell John, the dead are raised, sick are healed. He didn't make a mistake. I'm the one. You go back and they tell him, and, they, and then John made this statement. He said, you know what? He must increase, and I must decrease. I'm handing it over to him. Here he is. I've done my job. I'm finished. You know, this is the one of these four that can destroy your effectiveness. That is your pride. Your pride that says, you know what, this is my ministry, this is my little segment of the world, this is all about me, what I want, look at me, aren't I special, aren't I great? So many people that do ministry are just that way. It's all about them and what people say about them and the recognition that they receive. It's not about lifting up the Lord. Well, they'll say it is, but it's really not. John was just the opposite. John the Baptist said, no, that's okay. 
I'm going to die, and he takes over, and that's okay. In the years of ministry that I've had in different churches, the people that I seem to just irritate and defend the most are prideful, arrogant people. The people who say to me, you know, this is my ministry, this is my little segment of the church, this is my world, don't touch it. Aren't I great? You need to give me an attaboy. You always need to be complimenting me because it's all about me. I had one lady up in Indiana. We had to change over some ministries in the church, and theirs was getting nixed. There was, was, was some issues we're not going to go into, but, you know, this was their world. This was their thing, and I knew, I knew. This, is just, this whole thing is just filled with arrogance and selfishness and pride. And it got to where it was no longer about the Lord. It was all about me. You know, she left the church, she and her family, her husband. Years later, Deborah sees her at a garage sale. She said, you know, Deborah, I always liked you, but I hate your husband. I hate, hate me. Oh my, that kind of just spoke volumes as to what her attitude was and that we did make the right decision. I had somebody in a worship team one time who was just doing his own thing, and I confronted him. I said, listen, we've got to have to do some things differently. This isn't working, and the people are complaining, and it's, it's just not. It's too loud. It's just obnoxious. He said, you're stifling my worship. That's what he said to me. I said, well, you missed the point because it's not about you. Because when we put you up there, your job is to lead us in worship, not just do your own thing. It's not about what you want. He left the church too. Over the years in different churches, I've run off a lot of people simply because I would not give in to the arrogance and the selfishness and put me up there on the pedestal and not the Lord, that type of thing. Everybody look at me instead of looking at Jesus. Now, I say that to tell you this, that if you want a ministry that is going to be successful and counts for eternity, then it cannot be about you. It has to be about him. And I think sometimes the, the wires get crossed because all we want is validation. All we want is people's response and to be lifted up and accolades and all of that. And you know what? Everybody needs encouragement, and I'm not talking about that. But I'm just saying to each one of us individually that if that's what I'm looking for, then I'm never going to be successful. Because if I don't lift him up, then I'm a failure. And someday when we get to heaven, all of that will come to the surface too. And I think I'll probably be asked myself about some things that were done for me rather than the Lord. Jesus is the reason that we do this. Jesus is the reason why we minister. It's all about him because of what he's done for us and because of what he can do for other people. And when we convey that to other people, lives are changed. And if it's not about him and it's only about us, then soon it will fail. It really will. So this is the reason why I'm telling you that if you don't lift him up, but instead you're lifting yourself up, then you're doomed to failure. And you won't be living a life that in the end is going to count for very much. Here's number four, very quickly. 
When we talk about John the Baptist, he was willing to make sacrifices to get the job done. He was willing to make sacrifices to get the job done. I want you to look with me on the screen in Luke 3, 2. It says, During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of the Lord came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. In the wilderness. Now mark that. In Matthew 3, 1, it says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. What am I saying? I'm saying that at some point, the Lord spoke to John and said to John, get away into the wilderness because I have an assignment for you and I'm going to have to prepare you for it. And so John went and he lived in the wilderness. And it was there that God, when he called him out and said, now it's time to begin, he called him out of the wilderness. And when he did his ministry, he, he stayed in the wilderness. What you don't find is John the Baptist in the cities. You find him out there around the Jordan River. You find him out there baptizing people. People had to come from the cities out to where he was because that's where his ministry was. We're told in the scripture that John the Baptist wore clothes of camel's hair, which was rough and cheap and poor person's attire. He ate locusts and he ate wild honey. I don't have a clue what a locust is. I've heard that it's a plant. I've heard that it's a bug. I don't know, but I don't want to eat it. But yet he did. So when we talk about, okay, what, what about John the Baptist? Look, he sacrificed. John the Baptist was willing to give up whatever he needed to do in order to accomplish what God had told him to do. He sacrificed a home. He ate a strange diet, had strange clothes. There's no, no mention ever of John the Baptist being married. Could you imagine being married to him? He had a short life. All of these things were sacrifices. And yet John the Baptist said, I'll do it. I'll do it. His life counted for eternity because of these four reasons that I've given you. He didn't quit. He knew what his job was and he did it well. And he shined the light on Jesus Christ always and not himself. And he was willing to sacrifice whatever he had to do. Each one of us needs to evaluate our lives. And we have to ask the question, am I counting for eternity? Do I really count for eternity? Really? Am I just spinning my wheels and playing church and playing religion? Or am I doing something that when I stand before God, God's going to say, well done, well done. And if your answer is this, that no, I have to admit that maybe I'm not doing the things that are going to count for eternity, then the question then becomes, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? See, my prayer is that each one of us would realize that we need to make some changes and that we need to move away from our self-centeredness into areas of compassion and caring about people and ministering to people and lifting him up and always, always being faithful no matter what we do, never giving up. It's going to be hard. It will. It'll be thankless. And you're going to have to make sacrifices. Do it anyway.
do it anyway. Because someday you're going to stand before him. It's not going to matter. Some of the things we put value on aren't going to matter. But this will. See, this will. Our Heavenly Fathers, we bow before you. Father, I pray that each one of us would be burdened with the needs of the people around us. Father, as we look and we see all of these people that are hurting and in need and people that don't know you as their Savior and people that we come in contact with every day at work or school or in our community, Heavenly Father, help us to understand that this is what life is about. It's about affecting the lives of others in a positive way. It's about leading them to Christ if that's what is needed. It's about helping them with their needs. It's about being there for them. Whatever it may be, Father, this is ministry. And how do we do that? We're all different, and you're going to have to show us and lead us into these times of ministry. But, Lord, don't let us ever, ever let any of these things that we've talked about today get in the way. Father, may we be faithful to be the person you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. You know, as I was listening to him, listening to God speak to us through that, we have a prime opportunity right now, you know what, to really increase our ministries and and to reach out maybe where we've never done before. You know, it. Have you ever thought about as much FaceTime as everybody's giving to Facebook nowadays and the phone and how many hours are being spent back and forth with that thing? And when we could be sending notes to people that we know, maybe they're a shut-in, maybe maybe they're an elderly person that can't get around, just a word of encouragement. That's a ministry. You don't even have to get up off your couch to do it, but it's a it's a ministry in itself, just an encouraging word, something to build someone up with. Maybe you read you read on you read a Facebook account of something that happened tragically in a family, and you know the family. Opportunity is right there to get spread God's love to them and tell them you're praying for them and just pass on. It's it's a good opportunity. All right, thank you, Pastor. As as usual, we're challenged. We're challenged. We also need to remember that. <coughs> excuse me. We have a lot of people out that are on our side, so to speak. And when I'm pointing straight this morning strictly to our military people, uh, those who have, are serving and those who have served, those people are giving, they're sacrificing and they're doing, going way beyond the call of duty in many, many instances just to, just to help the fellow man and a fellow American. It would be good for us to share with them. And we have an opportunity with this Bible stick ministry that we've told you about before. And if you've not, if you not had a chance to do that, I would encourage you to do it. For $25, you can send a, a stick. You see in that picture, that little stick laying on the bottom down there. That All that is is, is a player. It's got earphones on it. You put, 
put them in your ear, put that in your pocket, and you can listen to the scripture. And there's so many, so many military people that have asked for those. They're sending them by the thousands. And for 25 bucks, you can supply one for a military individual, plus their family gets also gets ministered to. I think sometimes they send CDs to them and where they can listen to it. I listen to the scriptures. So it's a good opportunity to do something, to reach across the, out there and, and touch someone's life because so many great testimonies. I'd be glad to share some of them with you that I've had in the past of military guys that have picked that stick up and put it in their pocket and God changed their lives and changed their ministry, changed their whole life. It's it's God gives us an opportunity. We need to take advantage of reaching out and touching it, okay? If you're not done so, pray about doing it. Thank you for being here this morning. This is this is a good crowd, Pastor. Really truly was. I wasn't sure how I was going to come back, but this is a good crowd. Thank you for being here and being a part of the service this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to be dismissed. And then, and uh, don't forget, be faithful in your giving. We're not passing the plate as we each Sunday when we say that, but there is a box on the table back there wrapped up and marked offering. And if you would, drop your offering in that when you go by. And uh, let's, let's be faithful in keeping keeping God's house going and things that are going. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and your compassion. Thank you, Father, for your your love, especially, Father, to us as your children this morning. Thank you for this time together when we thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for challenging us. Thank you, Father, for giving each one of us in this room an opportunity to turn around and reach and touch someone else in this world around us. Father, we pray we might be faithful in doing just that. Lord, we need to be faithful in following your instructions for each of us. Thank you, Father, for our time together as we fellowship, as we listen to your word. Now as we give, we pray, Father, it will come from a heart of compassion and thanksgiving for what you've done for us. Keep everyone safe as we go our separate ways. We thank you, Father, for all those that have survived this week and our Lord can testify to how praise, how precious you are, how you've kept us safe. Thank you, Lord. Go with us, guide us, guard us, and direct us. We'll be careful to give you all the praise and all the honor. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.